Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We don't have any good martinis for you today, though. We definitely have a bad, and I would argue that the next two are crazy, but you could probably lump them in as all bad or all crazy. So let's just jump right to it. If you've been to a gas station in the last, oh, I don't know, 48 to 72 hours or certainly over the last week, you have winced. I'm almost convinced of this. Uh, Jim, when we came back from Florida, which we drove to and back, it was three forty-nine a gallon uh, where I live in Northern Virginia. And as I drove to work today, it was four nineteen, which it was also yesterday. And so that's, you know, if you do fairly simple math, 70 cents over the span of a week. And honestly, it's probably the span over just about three or four days. Other parts around the country are seeing it over $5. Uh, premium full serve in California now over $7. Obviously, you uh, don't see those prices for self-serve or, or lower grade. But uh, you've got oil spiking to about one thirty. 30 yesterday. It's right now a little lower than 120. You've got uh, oil traders thinking this could go as high as $200 per barrel, uh, depending on how things play out uh, in uh, Ukraine. Here's the Today Show's explanation of what we're seeing at the pump. The pain of the pump is off the charts. If it's going to be seven now, it's going to be nine pretty soon. $7 a gallon, a reality at some gas stations in Los Angeles. The unbelievable prices are reverberating nationwide. The national average for a gallon of regular is now $4.07. That's 46 cents more than just a week ago. And of course, late last week, the White House was trying to pretend that the rising cost of gas prices is entirely uh, due to the situation in Ukraine. It's certainly a factor, but it's not the only reason because they were pretty darn high before this. And so, Jim, uh, instead of just pumping more of our own. We're uh, asking great countries like Venezuela and maybe Iran to help us out with this. So uh, how do we process this? Yeah, I was going to say only the Biden administration could look at a crisis involving the aggression of Russia and say, how can we help the Iranians and Venezuelans at a time like this? What can we do for them? Um, on Saturday, I took my younger son to a comic convention in uh, out by Dulles. And we passed a gas station near our house and going there one way, we're over there for you know a couple hours, come back and it was 20 cents higher on the way back. Now, maybe gas stations increase their prices from Saturday afternoon to Saturday evening because more people fill up on Saturday evening, but 20 cents in a matter of hours is a lot. And uh, you mentioned the, the gas out in, in California hitting $7. Yes, it is only at particular gas stations and ones that are known for being particularly high priced. That having been said, the average price in California right now is $5.34 per gallon. So you're going to have more expensive in some areas, a little less expensive in others, but any way you want to slice it, that is phenomenally high. Um, there's very little that can be done in the short term about this. I'm sure you know, we've released from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve twice. First time it reduced the uh, price about 10 cents. Greg, I haven't seen anything about when they actually said we're going to do that second release of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but clearly it's not doing much to, if, I, I, if there was any dip in the prices, I missed it. Um, in the last couple of days. No, no it is a good. It is bad. Had you seen any or no, not at all. Yeah, um, I, I think at this point, releasing from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, certainly doesn't seem to have any type of alleviatory effect on prices for consumers. And you also kind of start wondering, will would the U.S. government need that oil at some point in the future? 
Um, this really does sound like a, you know, policy proposal that is just do something and look like we're doing something, but will not actually have much impact on this. As mentioned, there's not a lot we can do in the very short term. In the longer term, uh, the, as soon as taking office, the Biden administration sent signals regarding the shutdown of the uh, uh, Keystone Pipeline, barring federal drilling on public lands and decisions like that, that basically sent a message to the oil industry. We are not your friends. We are going to try to make your product more expensive. We do not like you. We think you are unclean. You are bad for the environment. We love solar. We love electric cars. We love oh, we love solar. We love wind. And we love electric cars. Greg, I noticed they never think that hard about where the electricity comes from for all of those <laughs> electric cars. But, you know, and so from that signal, coupled with the fact that the oil industry was dealing with the fact that um, oil prices had been you know, nice and high. Uh, they were doing all kinds of fracking. They were looking into new fields. They were expanding. And all, of course, you know, drilling an oil uh, rig is a very capital intensive. Uh, uh, developing a field requires a lot of money. They spent a lot of money and then the pandemic hits. Boom. All of a sudden, demand drops like a stone. You may remember March 2020, no one was leaving their house or very few people were leaving their house and driving around. Well, type of un completely unprecedented situation for the oil companies. And I know it's tough to feel a great deal of sympathy for them, but they were in a situation where demand just suddenly dropped like that. They are now spooked. They are now in a situation where you never know, is demand going to grow as consistently as you think it is? Now, obviously, we have all of this pent up demand, uh, not just for vehicles, but also for trucks, for trains, for planes. People want to travel more. There's just greater demand for oil. So that's one of the things that was driving up oil prices before. The administration's decisions don't help any. And now you have supply chain issues and, and all of that. Now put all of that together and throw on a crisis between Russia and Ukraine. That is kind of like the cherry on top, driving it even higher. And uh, look, I, you know, all of this, I guess if you want to look for a, a silver lining to all this, this is basically an announcement to the Biden administration that you may reach the point where people stop talking about gas prices as intensely as they do now. But I don't think you will see gas prices return to what we think of as normal before the end of the year, which means it's probably going to be an absolutely as big as that red tsunami looked a few days ago. I think it's getting even bigger now. Well, exactly. And while I'm sure they see the political ramifications of this. I believe that uh, at least some of them, and Jenny Granholm, the uh, energy secretary, has basically said this, hey, we're in a transition away from fossil fuels. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a of a difficult stretch here. This is one of those Rahm Emanuel moments of never let a crisis go to waste. And so by not improving our output or taking other steps necessary to uh, really increase supply and bring prices down, they see this as a good opportunity to make the push towards, well, you know, since you can't afford gas, now's really the time to embrace this renewable energy. And um, I think say if $5 a gallon gas hurts you, why don't you buy a $50,000 or $50,000 <laughs> electric car? Exactly. Of course, if you can't afford the gas, you're not going to be able to afford the car. Exactly. Barack Obama told us this in 2008 under his plan, which was cap and trade back then, your energy costs will necessarily skyrocket. That hasn't changed. The details are just different. And then he got into the beast and drove away to Hawaii. <laughs> right, exactly. All right. Well, let's talk about something way better than high gas prices. And that is the uh, fantastic products you can get from Moink. And it's also a way to help out rural farmers and help out the U.S. economy. Because, look, 60%, 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese. And their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including China. Yet you can find it in your grocery aisle every single day. 
So obviously there's a better way. And that's where Moink comes in because not only do they have fantastic products from the salmon to the chicken and oh man, those steaks, it is so, so good. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did. And as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. The Moink difference is a difference you can taste, and you can feel good knowing you're helping family farms stay financially independent too. You choose the meat that gets delivered in every box, everything from ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops to salmon fillets and much more, plus you can cancel anytime. Jim and I have both had the opportunity to have the Moink box delivered to our front door. We've thrown them on the grill uh, from the salmon to the chicken to the steaks, of course, all of it absolutely fantastic. And again, they're helping to save rural America and they're keeping you healthier by the way they raise and produce this meat. So keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com martini right now. And listeners of the Three Martini Lunch can get free filet mignon for a year. How about that? That's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but it's only for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com martini. That's moinkbox.com martini. All right, Jim, on to our second martini, which I think has bad and crazy elements to it. Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, fresh off her Ph.D.-level dissertation of how the Russia-Ukraine war is working, uh, is also uh, commemorating, as of yesterday, Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama, one of the uglier moments uh, in the civil rights movement where people uh, marching for the right to vote were brutally beaten, among them the late Congressman John Lewis and and many, many others who lived with the uh, effects of those wounds for the rest of their lives. Yesterday, in Selma, in addition to paying tribute to those who were still there and and who have passed on uh, for the sacrifices they made all those years ago, trying to tie it to the current debate over voting, and Harris suggesting that she's still working for people's right to vote. And I have come here today to also remind you that we all stand together President Biden and I are working for this cause every day. We have put the full power of the executive branch behind our shared effort. And if we all continue to work together, to march together, to fight together, we will secure the freedom to vote. We have the freedom to vote. Here's another quote, though. Those brave marches, meaning back in 1965, continued to push forward to secure the freedom to vote. And they were pushed back. Today, we stand on this bridge at a different time. We again, however, find ourselves caught in between injustice and justice, between disappointment and determination, still in a fight to form a more perfect union, once again making the case that states that have uh, changed their voting laws this year are doing so to either suppress uh, the black vote or, as Biden has said recently, to not even count them if they're actually cast by black voters, none of which is true. So, uh, Jim, like I said, part crazy, part bad here. Greg, as we were contemplating what to talk about on, on today's podcast, I think about Kamala Harris, besides all of the existing problems we've talked about, the staff turnover, uh, the fact that apparently, oh, by the way, her supporters are still complaining she's not getting enough attention, she's not getting enough good press, all that kind of stuff. Look, this, this crisis with Russia and Ukraine is not going away anytime soon. We can all hope for a quick end to the war, but it certainly doesn't look like it's going to be that way Um and the question of what do we do about Vladimir Putin? How stable is he? Um, is you know the Russian bear unleashed, so to speak? 
Um, this is likely to have long-term problems in energy prices, long-term prices in food prices, uh, particularly for those who are dependent upon Russia and Ukraine for their wheat. I mean, like, it is a big, messy, complicated world. And then we've got Kamala Harris a heartbeat away. This is not, you know, she, her background was in prosecu prosecution and, and law enforcement. If, you know, ironically, we are suffering a huge crime wave and we don't see her taking the lead on any of that either. Uh, we saw her attempts to deal with the border and migrant issues in the first year of the Biden presidency. <clears throat> it's very hard to say what she's good at, but I don't think you can say matters of war, foreign policy and national security are her natural wheelhouse either. And I don't think, you know, like, I know she went out and spoke at the Munich Security Conference. She gave this perfectly fine speech and all that stuff, but I don't really think and apparently there's a talk of her sending her to some other NATO ally capital, NATO ally country capitals to reassure them. And, you know, she's capable of that, I suppose, you know, you know, but in the end, I don't really think uh, NATO is on the edge of its seat wondering what Kamala Harris thinks. And I, I just kind of feel like this. We clearly are, you know, de facto allies of Ukraine and we are shipping arms to them. We are attempting to help them hold out and bring uh, uh, we want the Russian economy brought to its knees, so to speak. These are all big, scary, serious issues. And this is not the time for her condescending kindergarten teacher routine. And I kind of feel like there are certain people in like you know, certain people in politics, many people would say Biden is one of them, who are arrogant and don't know what they don't know. And that's why, you know, Biden on the campaign trail is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put Vladimir Putin in his place, and his days of bullying Eastern Europe are gonna be over once I'm in office, you know. I think the, the reason Kamala Harris always sounds like someone who's been asked to give a book report and she didn't read the book <laughs> is I think on some level Kamala Harris knows she isn't she this, this is not she wasn't meant to be here that <laughs> this is actually that this is she's in over her head that this is a way more complicated and scary responsibility and I think you can kind of see it in her eyes that recognition of oh God you know if, if Biden's ticker gives out it's my decision to make life and death decisions and I'm the one who's going to have to uh, write letters to families saying about, you know, I, I gave the orders that, you know, put them into harm's way and cost them their lives. I, I do. This is that's about as sympathetic to, to Kamala Harris as I can be. She seems to have that, that, that deer in the headlights look as a recognition of what she's in right now and that this is a heck of a lot tougher than being in the Senate. So everything looks a hell of a lot easier when you're on the campaign trail. And now it's real. And I think this tone, so which is why I think you're seeing her jump back to domestic issues, very convenient ones, Democrats good, Republicans bad, all that kind of stuff. It's a safer and easier world to live in than the one that the president of the United States has to deal with sitting behind the Resolute desk. And we'll see how things shake out. But I have this, uh, this sneaking suspicion that Kamala Harris and her national security team are, you know, understandably deeply concerned about where the country is going. And if she ends up inheriting the presidency, God forbid something happens to Biden, um, just how much of a challenging plate of issues she's going to face. But other than a lack of expertise, character, political talent or work ethic, um, she seems to be perfect for the job. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is that, uh, you know, you think back to uh, all, all the options and, you know, you kind of wonder if, if Joe Biden was thinking, God, I should have picked a retired general. You know, I should have picked somebody who you know, had more foreign policy experience, had more uh, national security experience, because that's turning out to be a much bigger part of this presidency than he necessarily expected. And, you know, you're kind of left, you know, traditionally, you've got a young president and an older vice president who's kind of old, reliable hand. Well, she can't play that. And also there's anecdotes about her not studying her briefing books and not being prepared and then blaming the staff when she's not prepared. Boy, that's bad in every circumstance, but that's really, really bad during a national security crisis. 
Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Not the best choice Joe Biden could have made in 2020, to be sure. All right. But if that's got you stressed, just lay down, take a nap, or at least close your eyes and, and try to relax a little bit. And there's no better place to do that than on the wonderful products made by my pillow, which right now are coming at a great deal. And since you're taking out a second mortgage to fill up the tank right now, you want a good deal on everything that you can get your hands on. And right now, when you go to MyPillow.com slash martini, uh, you can access a bunch of great deals, including MyPillows as low as $19.98, the MySlippers at 50% off, the MyPillow towel sets at their lowest price ever at $39.99, 60% off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $39.99, and they'll also throw in Mike Lindell's free book, with the promo code Martini. I have all of these products and I highly endorse them. Now consider the Giza Dream Sheets that are made from the world's best cotton. These she this cotton is grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. As a result, the Giza Dream Sheets are ultra soft and breathable. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes, machine washable, and these sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. You will find all of these offers and much more at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. Right now, every order using the promo code martini will receive Mike's new book entitled What are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO for free? MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. Get direct access to all the deals at MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move on to our crazy martini. And if you had a major international crisis going on, you had a major economic crisis happening at home with inflation that was already uh, borderline out of control, and now it's really going, especially on energy prices, who's the last person you would want to reemerge on the scene? That's right. Andrew Cuomo is back after a six, maybe seven-month hiatus. He's decided to reemerge publicly, and he did it yesterday at God's Battalion of Prayer. It's the church in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. For about 20 minutes, imagine going to church and hearing Andrew Cuomo for 20 minutes laying out the same defense of his behavior he's held over the past several months, but assured the audience he's been leaning on scripture in a difficult time because, quote, God isn't finished with me yet. Which is true because you're still alive. So therefore, <laughs> it's just not the way he thinks. <laughs> that doesn't mean he wants you in power uh, anytime soon. Uh, he uh, was very harsh against cancel culture. He says, if you want to cancel something, cancel federal gridlock, cancel the incompetence, cancel the infighting, cancel crime, cancel homelessness, cancel education inequality, cancel poverty, cancel racism, be outraged, but be outraged at what really matters and what really matters to you. He did not uh, say what his next steps would be, but he did frame himself, according to Politico, as a fighter from outside the bureaucratic status quo. Boy, that's a reach. <laughs> And, uh, Who would that be? <laughs> meanwhile, Letitia James, the uh, far-left attorney general who pretty much put uh, Cuomo out of office, uh, ripped the speech saying, quote, serial sexual harasser Andrew Cuomo won't even spare a house of worship from his lies. Even though multiple independent investigations found his victims to be credible, Cuomo continues to blame everyone but himself. Cuomo was not railroaded. He quit so he wouldn't be impeached. New Yorkers are ready to move forward from this sick, pathetic man. So, Jim, call me old-fashioned. I like to leave worship services to actually worshiping God and not profiling politicians. But uh, Andrew Cuomo is on his recovery tour. What do you think? You know, uh, look, if you want, I, I'm looking forward, if he does choose to run again, with the slogan, 
cancel education inequality, cancel poverty, cancel racism. Just don't cancel sexual harassment. <laughs> be outraged, but be outraged at what really matters. Me grabbing, you know, tushes and stuff. Nobody cares about that. Yeah. This is my attempt at Andrew Cuomo. Greg does a better one. Um, you know, my the best way to summarize my view on Cuomo is I do not want him to go away from public office, public life angry. I just want him to go away. And this is, yeah, I, I, the good, if there's any silver lining to what has been a very depressing day on, on this podcast, it is that I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I don't think that he really has enough uh, favors to call in. He's got a lot of money. But in the end, when you are disgraced and you have no more friends and you have no more allies and the Democratic Party sees you as a liability, I, and you're, oh, by the way, your brother's been, you know, tossed off of uh, CNN and he was involved in, you know, working with your defense and, and you know, spinning your answers. And he, too, is accused of sexual harassment. And <clears throat> there's just nothing redeemable about the Cuomos now. If he wants to spend time in church, I just think he should spend time in church praying and less time preaching, Greg. Yes. Anytime they reemerge this quickly, I, uh, I have suspicions about motives, and uh, especially when it comes to the Cuomos. But uh, we'll see if anything more comes out of this. But, uh, Jim, at least a little bit of levity uh, to start the week. We'll see what the rest of the week has in store for us. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. Uh, very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday. And please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.